This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of tarsal coalition from the pediatric section on orthobullets.com. Tarsal coalition is a structural anomaly between two or three tarsal bones causing a rigid flat foot. There are two types of tarsal coalition, congenital, which is the most common, and acquired, which is less common and caused by trauma, a degenerative etiology, or infections. As far as the epidemiology, the age of onset of calcaneonavicular coalition is usually 8 to 12 years old, and talocalcaneal coalition is usually 12 to 15 years old. The prevalence varies from 1 to 2%. As far as location, calcaneonavicular is the most common, then talocalcaneus. With respect to pathophysiology, embryologically there is a failure of mesenchymal segmentation leading to coalition between two or three tarsal bones. This develops into a fibrous coalition or undergoes metaplasia to cartilage plus or minus bone. As far as pathoanatomy of this condition, let's discuss a little about gait mechanics, deformity, and some pain generator theories. With respect to gait mechanics, the subtalar joint will normally rotate 10 degrees internally during stance phase, and in the presence of coalition, internal rotation does not occur. As far as the deformity in tarsal coalition, there is a flattening of the longitudinal arch, abduction of the forefoot, valgus hindfoot, and perineal spasticity, also known as perineal spastic flatfoot. Pain generator theories include ossification of previously fibrous or cartilaginous coalition, microfracture at the coalition bone interface, secondary chondral damage or degenerative changes, and or increased stress on other hindfoot joints. Tarsal coalition can either have non-syndromic or syndromic etiologies. Non-syndromic forms typically have autosomal dominant inheritance patterns. Syndromic etiologies can include fibular hemimalia, carpal coalition, FGFR-associated craniosynostoses that are caused by FGFR1, FGFR2, and FGFR3, Apert syndrome, Pfeiffer, Cruzan, Jackson-Weiss, and Moenke syndromes, which are all genetic disorders characterized by the premature fusion of certain skull bones and other parts of the body. With respect to classification, there can be an anatomic classification and a pathoanatomic classification of tarsal coalition. Anatomic classification is basically split up into calcaneonavicular and talocalcaneal. Calcaneonavicular is again the most common, and as the name suggests, the coalition exists between the calcaneus and navicular bones. Talocalcaneal coalitions exist between the middle facet of the talocalcaneal joint. The pathoanatomic classification has three types a fibrous coalition at the syndesmosis, a cartilaginous coalition, aka a synchondrosis and an osseous coalition, a.k.a. a synostosis. Presentation of tarsal coalition patients usually involves a history of prior recurrent ankle sprains. Most patients are actually asymptomatic, and most coalitions are found incidentally. Approximately 75% of people are asymptomatic. Pain in the sinus tarsi and inferior fibula suggest calcaneonavicular coalition, while pain distal to the medial malleolus or the medial foot suggests a talocalcaneal coalition. Pain may be worsened by activity, and the onset of symptoms correlates with the age of ossification of the coalition. Calf pain may be present as well, and that is usually secondary to perineal spasticity. Physical exams should consist of inspection, range of motion testing, and certain special tests that we'll talk about in a minute. Inspection may reveal hindfoot valgus, forefoot abduction, 
and or pes planus. Range of motion testing may show limited subtalar motion, heel cord contractures, and the arch of the foot does not reconstitute upon toe standing, meaning that the hind foot remains in valgus and does not swing into varus upon toe standing. The special test we were referring to earlier is the reverse Coleman block test, which evaluates for subtalar rigidity. With respect to imaging, recommended views on plane films include the anterior-posterior view, a standing lateral foot view, a 45-degree internal oblique view, which is the most useful for calcaneonavicular coalition, and finally, a Harris view of the heel. Findings on plane films may include the anteater sign, which is pretty typical of a calcaneonavicular coalition, and you will basically see an elongated anterior process of the calcaneus. On radiographs, a talocalcaneal coalition will show talar beaking on lateral radiograph, which occurs as a result of limited motion of the subtalar joint and an irregular middle facet joint on Harris axial view. The C sign is a C-shaped arc formed by the medial outline of the talar dome and the posterior inferior aspect of the sustentaculum tali. This basically suggests a dysmorphic sustentaculum which appears enlarged and rounded. A CT scan has been suggested as part of the preoperative workup to rule out additional coalitions. The incidence is approximately 5%, and this cross-sectional imaging can be useful to determine size, location, and extent of coalition. The size of a talocalcaneal coalition is based on the size of the posterior facet using coronal slices. MRI may be helpful to visualize a fibrous or cartilaginous coalition. STIR sequences help to differentiate inflammatory changes like tendinitis in local structures. Treatment for tarsal coalition, like most things, is either non-operative or operative. Non-operative management consists of observation and shoe inserts, specifically medial arch support and preserved hindfoot alignment. However, in rigid flat feet, shoe inserts may be the cause of discomfort. Immobilization with casting and analgesics is typically the initial treatment for symptomatic cases and the cast is usually a below-the-knee walking cast for six weeks, and as far as outcomes, up to 30% of symptomatic patients will become pain-free with a short period of immobilization. Operative options include coalition resection with interposition graft, plus or minus correction of associated flat foot deformity, subtalar arthrodesis, and triple arthrodesis, and we'll go into the indications, techniques, and outcomes for each of these options now. A coalition resection with interposition graft plus or minus correction of the associated foot deformity is indicated for persistent symptoms despite non-operative management and a coalition that involves less than 50% of the joint surface area. And this resection can be done both open or arthroscopically. As far as the interposition material, you can use the extensor digitorum brevis in a calcaneonavicular coalition, a split flexor hallucis longus tendon in a talocalcaneal coalition, and you can also use interposed fat graft or bone wax. Correction of associated hindfoot, midfoot, or forefoot deformities may involve calcaneal osteotomy for hindfoot valgus, calcaneal lengthening to create an arch after resection, and heel cord lengthening if there is intraoperative ankle dorsiflexion that is not past neutral. And as far as outcomes, 80 to 85% will experience pain relief. You will tend to have poor outcomes for coalition resections greater than 50% size of the joint surface area, uncorrected hindfoot valgus, and associated degenerative changes will also result in poor outcomes. Subtalar arthrodesis is considered if coalition involves greater than 50% of the joint surface of a talocalcaneal coalition. However, its role has not been well established. 
It can be done open or arthroscopic. And make sure to consider an associated calcaneal osteotomy in the setting of a severe hindfoot malalignment. A triple arthrodesis, that is fusion of the subtalar, calcaneocuboid, and talonavicular joints may be indicated in advanced coalitions that fail resection, and also for diffuse associated degenerative changes affecting calcaneocuboid and talonavicular joints, and this can also be approached open or arthroscopic. Now let's talk about the surgical techniques of these options in a little bit more detail. A calcaneonavicular coalition resection is typically approached in the lateral or sloppy lateral position, and an anterolateral approach is taken over the coalition. The incision is usually made obliquely, just distal to the subtalar joint and between the extensor tendons and perineal tendons. As far as the technique, you will want to protect branches of the superficial perineal and sural nerves. Reflect fibrofatty tissues in the sinus tarsi anterior and extensor digitorum brevis distally and then identify the coalition between the anterior process of the calcaneus and the navicular bones and then confirm with fluoroscopy. Next, you will excise the bar with a saw or osteotomes, which leaves a defect of approximately one centimeter in size. Then finally, you will interpose fat, bone wax, or a portion of the extensor digitorum brevis muscle into the defect. And postoperatively, you will place a short leg, non-weight-bearing cast for three to four weeks. A talocalcaneal coalition resection is approached in the supine position and a medial approach to the hind foot is used. The incision will be a horizontal or curved incision centered over the sustentaculum tali between the flexor digitorum longus and the neurovascular bundle. The sustentaculum tali is usually just plantar to the talocalcaneal coalition. And in this surgery, you will identify normal subtalar joint cartilage by dissecting out the anterior and posterior facets. This will help determine the location and size of the coalition resection. Make sure to confirm with two needles immediately anterior and posterior to the coalition with fluoroscopy. Then resect the coalition with a high-speed burr, rongeurs, and curettes. Invert and evert the subtalar joint to demonstrate improvement in subtalar motion. Then interpose fat, bone wax, or a portion of the flexor hallucis longus tendon into the defect. Postoperatively, patients will be placed into a short leg non-weight-bearing cast for three weeks. As far as surgical complications, the important ones to mention are incomplete resection, recurrence of the coalition, and residual pain or stiffness, which is usually due to malalignment or associated arthritis due to an unrecognized second coalition, which should be identified by a preoperative CT scan. That's all for this review about tarsal coalition. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much and we'll see you all tomorrow.